Well, I'd invite you to turn in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 6. It is good to be back together again. Our attendance has quadrupled. That's amazing from last week. Also, I hope the the elder or the ushers have done their job and checked for remote controls uh, before you, you came in here. Uh, and, and I noticed that no one brought their couches or chairs or no one's in their pajamas. So that's good to good to see that we miss uh, a lot of our congregation, but we are making sure that they are with us here in spirit. We are uh, videoing it uh, to record to put it on uh, our uh, Facebook page. But we are also live streaming this as well. Uh, my wife is holding that camera and so they are, they are with us uh, in that way. So we are together as a congregation, but it's so good just to be together. Now, it's going to it's, it's be hard for me to get used to people being in the different places. That, that really is a thing. So it's, uh, I'm, I'm going to be a little discombobulated. So. One thing that has been consistent in our life, and that is the Word of God. Uh, the world can turn upside down. But we have the word of God that does not change. And so uh, let's turn to Proverbs chapter 6. We just want to look at one verse today. Verse 23. It says, For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you. Uh, for just the service this far. It's just so good to be together. We've missed one another. We've, we we missed those who are not with us here but are, are watching in video. But we are still together, Lord, and, and we have to keep that in mind. We are a congregation. We are connected. We are tied to one another as, as a family is, no matter what goes on. I pray that you would bless our time together in your word. May we apply these things to our heart And live them out in our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been going through a a, a little mini-series from the book of Proverbs. And that is studying the way of righteousness. The way of righteousness. And there's two primary ways of life. That is the the way of wickedness. And according to Proverbs, it leads to death. And then the way of righteousness, it leads to life. There's only two ways. Christ said it using the same terminology that there's the the narrow gate that leads to life and the broad road that leads to death. It's the same terminology. You, You have sin and Satan and rebellion against God or you have those who are following the way of righteousness. Two completely different Completely different roads, completely different lifestyles. Now, our focus has been on the way of righteousness um, because it's my assumption that the children of God are going to have a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I believe that that is true. I believe that that's what we see in Scripture. And that is just the, the way of righteousness. There is a way of righteousness. And it is consistent from the Old Testament into the New Testament, all the saints of God have shared. There are certain character traits that we have all shared because it all comes from the mind of God. In every generation, all the children of God are going to have these same lifestyle. 
may look a little bit different, but the same principles. Again, it comes from the mind of God that does not change. This is a lifestyle of godliness. And um, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 21, he, when he was describing Christ, uh, when he was describing John the Baptist, he said that he came in the way of righteousness and the scribes and the Pharisees, they didn't get it. They didn't notice it. They didn't pick up on it. But the sinners, the tax collectors and the adulterers, they did get it. They saw it. And, um, and they were supposed to recognize, they were supposed to identify that this is a man of God because his righteous lifestyle. And that, that's the idea. And I believe that the scribes and Pharisees didn't get it because of their controlling pride and their blindness and, and they missed his genuine humility. And they, they would think, oh, that can't be from God. They just completely missed it. The way of righteousness, this lifestyle of righteousness is important. What we see in today, though, uh, in the church today, that Satan has a a tactic of blending the two together, of of confusing the gray areas. And we have many gray areas today. And I believe this is a, a, a tactic of Satan to blur the lines between those who are rebelling against God and those who are trying to obey God. And he's trying to pull those together. And it's a, a form of godliness that really denies the power, the way Christ would, or the way Paul would put it. But you cannot be going north and south at the same time. You can't not do that. That's two separate roads. And we need to avoid that. There is a clear distinction of a way of righteousness. God's children must have a lifestyle that reflects the character of God that we claim to serve. And that's the point. That's the, the, the principle there. The question, though, is what is this way of righteousness? How do we live out a, a, a uh, theology or a, a lifestyle that is consistent with Scripture? Well, we've been looking at this, and it's, it's pretty comprehensive. It's a, we've been trying to develop it, but it's, it's so broad and so vast because it affects every area of our, our lives. It affects our thinking. It affects uh, our attitude, the direction of our life, the decisions that we make. It affects our speech. It affects our appearance. It affects the places we go, the people we hang out with, the events that we attend. It affects our, our motives. Motives of our heart reflects the values and priorities, desires, our routines, our responsibilities. It affects every area of life, the, even the advice that we would give to other people. Now, we've been looking at this, and it's so vast that we have to narrow it down, and we've narrowed it down to five elements, five elements of uh, key elements, I think, uh, ideas that we can hang our thoughts on and kind of grasp this understanding of righteousness, a way of righteousness. And the first one, we see the first two on the screen there. The way of righteousness is a direction of of life. It's a direction. It's a path. It's a road that gets us from point A to point B. And that is salvation. It's a whole new orientation of, of life. And it's focused toward God. We're now going toward God. Number two, it's the way of righteousness has the uh, a proper motivation of life. It has to have a, it has to be properly motivated by the fear of the Lord, a reverence for God as His servants, or uh, and 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 He is our master, or as sons of a father that we're trying to please. That's the idea. 
And here in this passage, I believe that we find another key. And I believe that that is the key of, is responsibility, duty, obligation, things that we must do. There are certain things that we have to do. Now, I believe that it's found throughout Scripture. I really do. And, and we're just going to pull from this verse because it, it's in the Proverbs and we're studying through Proverbs. But I, the principle is still found through, throughout Scripture. There is an obligation of the believer. We have to come to terms with that, folks. And here's the principle. The way of righteousness is a submission to God-given responsibility. The way of righteousness is a submission to God-given responsibilities. Now, let's look at our passage again. And I want to read a, a little bit more, starting in verse 20, because I want us to see the context here. In verse 20, it says, My son, observe the commandment of your father. Now, notice that that is singular. Observe the commandment of your father and do not... Uh, forsake the teaching of your mother. That's singular. Not teachings, but teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you, uh, will, when you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you wake up, they will talk with you. For the commandment, again, singular, the commandment is a lamp. And the teaching, singular, is light. And the reproofs, plural, for discipline are the way of life. This is just the way life is. For the believer is commands and teaching or singular command and teaching. Now, here's the point that this is this is in the context of the family. But he's not talking about the all of the little individual commands that we give our children on a daily basis. There's hundreds of those. Probably thousands the way in the mind of your children, the, the way they think. But this is talking about one command. And that is, I believe, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. That is the mind of God. And uh, it's talking about the commandment of God. That is our single responsibility uh, before God as servants. That's just the teaching of Scripture. The teaching of Scripture. It's the, the law, the commands, the reproves, the obligations that we have that we are passing down from our children to, uh, or from us to our children. And we have a responsibility and an obligation to do that. And that starts from our Creator as servants. Now, now there's three terms with the same idea here. If you notice, back in verse 23, it says, For the commandment is a lamp. And the teaching is light, basically meaning the same thing. The commandment there is just the authoritative instruction. And then the teachings or the teaching is uh, means law, literally could be translated law. And uh, and these are are light, meaning the same thing, essentially this this communication from God, these commandments from God and they become reproofs for us. Now, here's the idea. We, we bring them uh, into our, our mind. We listen to them. We digest them. And they become part of us. They become a part of our life through uh, self-control. That's what reproof is. They reprove us. They correct the things that are wrong in our life. They train us. And to improve or, or strengthen us or to have self-control in certain areas of our life. And they become, they become a lamp. They become light to us. Just like 
In Psalm 119, David said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It gives us guidance. That's what a light does. In the New Testament, we'd see 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, All Scripture is, is God-breathed and, and given for reproof and for correction in righteousness, training the man of God in righteousness. It trains us. And here's the disciplines of our life. That's the idea. So this would be, um, well, there's certain disciplines that, that the child of God has to develop into their life. And this is the main thing of listening to the word of God, digesting that word of God, taking it in, and then living accordingly. And James, we would, we would see, um, he, he would say, looking into the mirror of the word of God, and not going away and, and forgetting, being a forgetful hearer, but being a doer of the word. We just live out the word of God in our life. That's the idea. We not forget, we look at it, and we implement it, we listen to it, we listen to those commands, those commands then correct the thinking of our heart, and we go out and we do that. Now, we've been listening uh, just uh, just to the news, and, and I feel really sorry for those sports uh, broadcasters, because... What do you do when there's no games going on, when there's no sports going on? And, and so they've been interviewing some of the players and watch some of that. One of the things they always ask the players, what are you doing in your off time? What do you do? And there's always a routine. There's always a discipline to those guys' lives. Even if they're not in the season, there's still, there's still certain disciplines that they have. A doctor or a dentist have to, have to uh, um, master certain skills, don't they? And they have to practice those. They, they have to keep those things up. Farmers have a routine on a daily basis. Believers have a, a routine to their life, and that is listening, digesting the Word of God, and working it out in their life. And that's a discipline that we have to, that we have, to have. There's reproof. We restrain ourselves with dis- discipline. And then we have obligations in our life. Now, we have to come to terms with that. We have a Christian society that kind of bulks at that whole idea because we, we love our freedom and we don't want to lose that freedom and, and we want to even gain more freedom if we, if we can. But even Christ took on himself obligations of, of life. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says he learned. He put himself, he submitted himself to the teaching of his, of his parents. And he had to learn things. It's hard for us to imagine the Son of God learning things and, uh, and developing and, and growing. We have a, a Christianity today that doesn't want any demands in our life. We don't want those restrictions of discipline. And we balk against anything that would take our freedoms Two of the things I think in the theological terms that we see that are taking our freedoms today is, is easy believism. This whole idea of, of, boy, all you do is just sign a card, make a decision for Christ, and you're in, you got the ticket to heaven, and, and you're good. Or this idea of antinomianism. We'll explain that a little bit more later. But no law, essentially. That's what it's saying. No law. Folks, you cannot see sanctification unless there's first justification. There has to be a change in our heart and our life. Now, let me give you four objections that we, we hear. There's four objections that, 
that I think that uh, you're going to hear from time to time. And, and these are ways that people think. We'll just move through these quickly. But these are important. I think there's principles here, spiritual principles that we need to, to have in our life. Number one, here's some objections. Here's the first one. In the Old Testament, uh, they were saved by works. And in the New Testament, we're saved by grace. That is a, a fallacy. They would go on to say, well, Christ did away with the law. We don't have any obligations on our, our life. All we need is that, like I said, that ticket to heaven. That is not a, a biblical theology from Scripture. That is not from Scripture at all. There are obligations to our life. Now, this is a misunderstanding of Romans chapter 4. So if you want to turn over there, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Romans chapter 10. What we see here is uh, it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, Paul, what he is doing, is having to deal uh, with this in the book of Romans, is this false idea. He's trying to correct this foolish notion that you can work your way to salvation. You can be saved through works. And he's calling, he's saying that Christ ended that. That whole silly notion, this futile attempt of working our way to, to salvation. And what was happening is, as a result of the false teaching, misunderstanding of the scribes and the Pharisees, they were teaching this Judaism that was uh, by works. Now, if you look back at Romans chapter 9, verse 30, Paul, Paul's, again, he articulates this. He says, what shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness? So he's saying these Gentiles, they are now having a righteousness. He says even a righteousness that uh, is by faith. But Israel, they pursued righteousness and didn't uh, attain or arrive at that righteousness or, or uh, at that law. He says why? Verse 32, because they did not pursue it by faith. It was a righteousness based upon their own ability. It was not by faith in God. Listen, salvation has always been Old Testament and New Testament. It's always been by faith. It's never been by works. The Old Testament was not, the Old Testament saints were not saved by works. It's a fallacy. And, and it's trying to, Paul is trying to correct that. Now, in our day, there's this teaching in, uh, really, Way back in the Scofield Reference Bible, most of you probably won't know about this. is about a hundred years ago, and this teaching, this really came from a, a hyper dispensationalist teaching, and and he was teaching that uh, in different dispensations that God saved people in different ways, and that's just that's just wrong. That's not what you see in Scripture. There is a consistent. Now he may not. Some would say, well, he didn't teach that, but he implied it. He left that door open for that. And it's a hyper-dispensationalist view. Now, I'm a dispensationalist. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But this is a wrong theology. They take it too far. Uh, Some would someone even say, well, we don't even have any obligations other than what Paul taught. Just a fallacy. And, and essentially, we're getting rid of any kind of law or getting rid of the law. That's where we are today. It's developed into that. And uh, it, that would be antinomianism. And antinomianism was a, a doctrine of the Gnostics and was discredited by the church. It was considered heresy by the church in the second and third century. Christ himself gave commands. 
We do have obligations. Paul gave commands in every letter that he wrote to the churches. He gave commands. Even the passage that was read for us earlier, uh, the uh, this uh, idea. In fact, let me read that Galatians chapter five. We'll just look at that quickly. Galatians five, verse thirteen. He says, "For you were called to freedom." So that's great. That's what we want to hear. You were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into opportunity for the flesh. Now hold on. There's got to be some restraints, Paul is, is saying. But through love, serve one another. There's still that obligation of love that we have. We cannot get beyond that obligation of love. For the whole law is filled, uh, fulfilled in the one word, uh, that statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We still have the obligation of love. We cannot... And it's a duty. We cannot take ourselves out from under that obligation. It's a duty, again, we see in Romans chapter 13. Christ told himself, or told his disciples. What did he tell them? He says, go and make disciples and teaching them to do whatsoever I've commanded you. There's commands in Scripture. Now, there's a principle here that I want you to see. We cannot confuse the works to get to heaven... And there's a lot of false teachers that are teaching that who don't confuse the works getting ourselves to heaven with the works uh, or working for God out of love. There's two different things. And we cannot get the, the cart before the horse. And that's what I think they're doing. They're, they're doing the works to get to heaven. No, we don't do the works to get to heaven. We are saved first and then we... We're going to heaven first, and then we work out of love. And you get the you get the point. The other it would be saying like ready, fire, aim. Right? You, you don't do that. You, you don't have lunch before breakfast. It becomes breakfast or brunch or whatever. You don't we don't we don't do that. We don't have dessert first. Well, maybe we do. Sometimes maybe we do. But you get the point. Salvation comes first, and then the works. Then the works are are uh, are there, and there's still obligations. Now let's move on. There's another objection here. No mention of uh, obligations in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. That's a Jerusalem council. There's no objection, or there's no uh, 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 obligations that are put on us from the Jewish church. And if you look over Acts chapter 15, this is a a misunderstanding of this passage. And they would point out, now here's what was happening in the context here. You have uh, the church was was spreading. It was spreading beyond the, the Jewish community. And they noticed, they begin to notice that even the Gentiles were being saved. And God was planting, Christ was growing His church even among the Gentiles. So they came together and said, how can this thing be? They recognized this is from God. How do, we, how do we handle this? Because to this point, God was working through a nation, the nation of Israel. How do we, how do we handle? What do we, what do we have them do? Do we have them be circumcised? Do we take them, uh, have them uh, do all of the sacrificial system and, and, and make sure they go through all of that? And they came to the conclusion in verse chapter 15 and verse 25, 23, it says, and they sent a letter. Now they sent the letter from Paul or uh, from the disciples to with Paul, some of the missionaries. They sent this letter out to these 
uh, these Gentile churches, it says uh, the apostles and the brethren who are elders. So they establish themselves to the brethren who are at Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Now, those are the, the Gentile churches and they say greeting. In verse 28, it says this. For it seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. We don't want any burden to be placed upon you. And that's a good thing. But they are having in mind here all of the the, the ritual uh, Jewish religion. We don't want to place that on. That is old. In fact, Christ would say that's old wineskins. This is new wine. You don't put new wine in old wineskins. But they do go on and put a little bit of obligations here. This is they, uh, that, verse 29, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols. That's just idolatry. The things that uh, would offend the Jews, things sacrificed to idols. And from blood and from uh, things that are strangled and from fornication. That's the moral law. So he's, they're hitting a few things. And they said, we don't want to put anything that would re- hinder your uh, your um, freedoms here, but just remember, be sensitive to the Jewish community, and that's what that was what was happening, and that went on for uh, a little while. Paul is Paul is giving. Uh, uh, I'm I'm sorry. The Mosaic law, the civil law, and the uh, priestly uh, rituals did not carry over. And it's because God is no longer using a nation. That, that's a, an old, uh, we would say, dispensation. He is now using the church. Now, this same idea is found in Ephesians chapter 1. Now, this is a dispensation. Ephesians chapter 1. We uh, went over this a little bit this week. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul mentions this. He made known to us the mystery of His will. God has given us His will. He made known this to us. According to the kind intention of His purpose, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time. This is a whole new administration, or a whole new dispensation, a whole new way of God working on this earth. And that is, um, that is suitable. It's more appropriate for the end of time, for, for wrapping everything up. Now, that's the idea. He's no longer using a, a nation. He's using a church that can spread out to, to all the nations and be effective in all the, the cultures uh, and, and among all of the people. Now, there's a, a principle here, a spiritual principle, I think, and uh, a spiritual principle that we need to keep in mind. We, we may be under new dispensation, and we are. We're not under the, the laws of Israel anymore. But this is the same God. He has the same likes. He has the same dislikes. He has the same standards. Just a different method of working with man, with the church. But it is the same God. We, We have the idea, and I think just kind of a subtle idea in our head, that God has, that God has progressed. That God has changed his mind. He's a little softer. He realizes, oh, the Old Testament was a little hard. And I've, I've uh, progressed past that. That's just not the case. God has not changed. He may work a little bit differently. As a, as a, uh, a man, I'm a son. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I'm a husband. I have different roles, but I'm the same person. 
I'm the same guy. I still have the same likes, same dislikes. I'm consistent with all of those things that, that I, I try to do. God is the same way. We, we may be under a new dispensation. And he, there seems to be an emphasis of grace. But you know what? It's the same God. We still have obligations. Number three. Here's another objection that you'll hear. All we need to do is love. All we need to do is love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. And, and man, there's a lot of freedom with that. And that's, and that's good. And, and to a sense, that is true. This is, that's, that's the objection. But here's the problem. They have the faulty view of, of love. It's not a biblical view of, of love. Um, God holds the right, folks, to say how He will be loved. We can't just make that up. We cannot just say, okay, here's the way I'm going to choose to love God. That's just not what you see. God holds that right to say how He is to be loved. Today we have this Hollywood version of love of God. And it's the image of... Um, of you know the epitome of this love is this emotional expression uh, uh, while we're singing and our hearts are vulnerable and and you, boy you can tell that person loves God. That is just not that's not a good gauge for our love for God. It's not. It's not a good gauge. Christ said, "If you love me, you will what? You will keep my commandments." That's a better gauge. Now, should we have that expressive love when we're singing that love for God? Absolutely, that's good. But that's not the gauge, folks. The gauge is: Do we obey? Are we doing those obligations that God has called us to? So the principle is: the greatest expression of love for God is obedience. It's obedience, not this Hollywood version of "Boy, that person loves God and and uh, he's so expressive." And no. What is he doing? Number four. We have a, another objection. We are not to try to conform to God's commands. Now this is a misunderstanding of Romans chapter 12. So if you want to turn there. Romans chapter 12. This is an objection that says um, we are not to conform to, uh, to God's uh God's word, we're not to, to try hard, we're not to discipline ourselves, we're just to, it's from the inside out, there's really nothing you can do with that, it, it comes from, it comes down to this whole idea of letting go and letting God, it's kind of the traditional sentimental uh, kind of quaint little uh, uh, religion, and it's just a misunderstanding of this, this verse, let me read it to you, Romans chapter 12 verse 2 and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So with our mind, we're being transformed in the renewing of our mind. So we're renewing our mind. And this is the same thing that the author had in mind in, in Proverbs, isn't it? We take in the word of God. It renews our mind. And we then can discern what is good? Mm, I'm not going to do that. That's not good. Or I can discern what is acceptable and what is, what is perfect. That, that's what the idea here is. Now, the word conform there means to force myself to go against my own nature. So I'm conforming. Now, this is do not conform to the world. 
And that's what it would be because my nature has changed. I'm not like the world anymore. I have a different nature. And it would be conforming to the world for me to be like the world. And he says, don't, don't even try to be conformed like the world. Because you're already transformed. And the whole assumption here is that you are transformed. We just need to renew that mind. You let that mind be transformed. And the transformation here is changing that is consistent with our nature. Changing that is consistent with our nature. And it's from the inside and out. And it's the Word of God that, that we bring into our life and, and we just digest it and we then work it out in our life. It's not saying don't try hard. Now, I understand they're fighting against... Now, I mean, the idea here is that that we shouldn't try hard because that's legalistic and that's self-effort and you're bypassing God's grace and sanctification and, and they've got this idea of just cranking up more discipline and, and obedience to God and drudgery of, of this spiritual disciplines that we have to do. And they're fighting against. Here's what they're fighting against. And I think this is a legitimate fight. They're just going about it the wrong way. They're fighting against these really unsaved people coming into the church and just... Conforming to the church. No real transformation to their life. They're just coming in and they're, they're just trying to live the spiritual life when they're spiritually dead. And I understand that. Because that, we've seen some of that. We've seen some of that. This passage assumes that the heart has already been transformed. It's already been changed. We just take in the Word of God and let it digest and change us from the inside. And we realize this is good and this is not good. We realize this is excellent and this is not excellent. And it begins to work on our life. This is acceptable and this is not acceptable. And Christ, or Paul said that we really can't even say Jesus is Lord genuinely from our heart unless the Holy Spirit is in our life, unless we have been transformed. We cannot walk in the Spirit. We cannot do, uh, uh, have the fruits of the Spirit unless the Holy Spirit is there anyway. The way of righteousness must come from the inside and it's the Holy Spirit. But there's still obligations in our life as we walk in the Spirit and as we are transformed. Now, here's the spiritual principle. That believers' obedience and fulfillment of uh, our responsibilities and duties and obligations, they are a natural, natural response or a natural, uh, uh, really, conformity or transformity because we have started with a uh, right nature. Because we have the right nature, because we have the right nature, duty, responsibility, obligations, those things come naturally. We want to serve our master. That's the idea. As children of God... Let's go back to our passage. As children of God, in, math, in uh, Proverbs chapter 6, as children of God, we are to take in the Word of God. It becomes a lamp for us. We take in that teaching. It becomes light for us. And it reproves our thinking. It corrects our thinking. And we discipline ourselves for the way of life. It's just the way of life for the believer. It's just what we do. It's a natural thing because we have been transformed. It's a way of, it's a way of life for us. You say, now that's a lot of commands. It's a lot of commands for us to try to be righteous. This way of righteousness, man, you're just going to overwhelm us with do this and do that and do that, do the other thing. Where do you start? 
Well, we'll look at that next week. It is a huge task. But we can narrow it down. And it's not, it's not uh, impossible because it is consistent with our nature. God's children, if we are born of God, we will have a lifestyle that reflects the character of God that we claim to serve, folks. Now, here's my concern. I'm afraid that in the church today, not necessarily Daniel's Bible Church, is this idea that I've got my ticket to heaven. I've avoided hell and I've, I've, uh, I've signed the church role or I've, I'm a member of this church or I believe in this doctrine and, and we've reduced religion down to a, a system of beliefs and I believe this so I'm good. That's not the Christianity of Scripture. It's not what you see in Scripture. It's not the mindset of the true believer of God. The believer genuinely is motivated by fear of his master with a reverential awe, a love for his master like a servant that loves his master or a son that loves his father and just wants to please him. But there is duty. There is responsibility. There are obligations to the Christian lives. Discipline is just the way of life for the believer, for the child of God. Discipline is the the way of, of life for us. Just because we've been stuck, quarantined, doesn't mean that we should not be practicing disciplines, spiritual disciplines in our life. We have obligations. Now, we can reduce all those obligations down to one thing, and that's love. Love for God and love for others. All of the law summed up into that one one statement, Paul says. But it's an obligation. We have an obligation to love one another. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I, I pray that we would never be those who just want to get out from under our obligations, our duties, our spiritual responsibilities. Lord, help us to be responsible stewards of you. Help us to be be able to discern, be able to take the word of God into our life, digest it and apply things to our life. Help us to not be a forgetful here and just go away like looking into the mirror and, and then going away and not changing anything that's that's uh that needs to be corrected. Lord, help us. Father, the world is just a, a different place. The, the lines are blurred between those who are truly Christians and those who are, have a form of godliness. Lord, help us to live out a genuine Christian life, a life of faith, not faking it, but genuine faith, so that the watching world can see and be pointed to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.